Chapter Twelve of One Commonplace Day by Pansy. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Twelve. What is the use? Reforms of nearly all description are apt to have such small beginnings that many people do not recognize them as reforms at all. Commonplace beginnings, and herein lies the difficulty in getting some persons to work. They are willing to do grand, heroic things but the bare and wearying commonplaces of life cannot win them to enthusiasm, nor to effort. In the Hartzell hovel the beginning was very small. In fact, it had to do with house-cleaning. "'Let us make the room over new,' said Kate, and the sister-in-law looked first at the room and then at the speaker, incredulity and disgust on her face. "'How?' she said, and then with energy, I tell you, you can't do it, Kate Hartzell. It isn't a room that is capable of being put in order, and if it were, there is nothing to do it with, nothing at all. I haven't had an ounce of soap in six weeks, and all the water we have I drag up from Jones's cistern down at the corner, and he swears at me every time I go. And as for rags to clean with, you would think we might have enough of them, but we haven't. Even rags are scarce in this house. You don't know anything about it. I do. I came down very fast when I started, and yet, after all, it took me a long while to reach the very bottom and realize it. But I have done that for three years. You would better take your trunk full of pretty dresses and get away to respectability and stay there. I shall not grudge it to you any more. I'll believe now that you had a heart to feel and to try, if there had been any use." It was morning, a clear, cold autumn morning. The rain was over, and the sky was blue, and the day was bright. Old Joe had slipped away before Kate opened her eyes that morning. It was late before she closed them. She had had bitter tears to shed, though she tried to hide them from the desolate woman who lay beside her on the rags. There was a little cupboard sort of room, opening from the main one, and there the wife and sister had hidden themselves, leaving the two drunkards to grovel outside together. Old Joe, as I said, had slipped away breakfastless, and John had growled and sworn and kicked his way through the kitchen an hour later, and told Kate that she needn't come there with her airs, that they wanted none of her, and staggered away breakfastless. There had been literally nothing in that house to eat." Within Kate's pocket lay a little purse, her own, the relic of happy days when she had changed to use at her pleasure. Not much, it is true, and managed always with careful economy, but her very own. Within it lay, at this moment, a treasure, a silver dollar. It had a peculiar history. She had gone out from the home which had recently sheltered her, in coldness and disfavor. Mrs. Copeland had not relented. She had believed herself to be an ill-used woman to the last. She had schooled herself to believe that Kate had grown tired of the routine and the restraints of thoroughly respectable life, and pined for the freedom of the flats. She had said to Fanny that that was what came of trying to lift people whose tastes and early associations were low and groveling. She had no knowledge of the home of wealth in which Kate's childhood had been spent. As for Fanny, she echoed her mother, of course, at least enough to be thoroughly vexed with Kate, 
though she stoutly held to the statement that she believed the girl thought she was doing her duty, and constantly affirmed that that unfortunate picnic was to blame for all the trouble. Feeling thus, it is not to be supposed that they in any way lightened the burden of Kate's home-going. She had received no wages since she had been with Mrs. Copeland, being only too glad to accept of an offer which fed and clothed her in respectability. Mrs. Copeland had certainly been very kind to her, had more than paid regular wages in the wardrobe she had helped to furnish. But Kate had not a cent of money, and yet that silver dollar lay in her little purse. I am coming to the story. It was the boy Holly who followed her to the gate that afternoon, when she turned away weeping from Mrs. Copeland's cold, I am sure, Kate, I wish you well, although you have shown an ungrateful spirit. But I must say that I hardly expect to hear well of you. Then came Holly, regret on his face, indignation flashing from his eyes. Never mind, Kate, he said. Mother doesn't understand, but I believe in you, I always shall, and I shall think up ways to help you, too. And, Kate, here is my dollar. It is my spend-as-you-like money. I don't have to give any account of it. Father says he expects that I will spend it foolishly, but I must learn by experience. So you mustn't refuse it. For Kate had drawn back, her fair face flushing crimson. I want you to take it as a sort of pledge that I am going to help. Folks need money to do things with. I intend to have a good deal of it when I am a man. I am going to earn it and spend it, too, for things of this kind. This is just a beginning, and you helped me to begin. Some day, maybe, you will remember that and be real glad. Was such logic as that to be withstood? To Kate it sounded almost prophetic, and sent a warm thrill through her heart. She reached forth her hand and took the money. It shall help, she said. And, Holly, boy, I won't forget your words. I will remember that I have a friend who is helping. Good-bye, Holly. The boy looked after her and swallowed hard and shut his teeth and clenched his hands. He and Kate had been warm friends. He did not like to see her going out from his father's house in this fashion. Mean old rum, he said between his shut teeth. I hate it. I'll fight it everywhere and always. When I'm a man I'll fight it with votes and money and speeches. And I'll fight it now. A boy can do some things. Kate shan't work all alone. Oh, mother, with your cold face and disappointed heart, going about your neat kitchen getting the evening meal, missing the neat presence which has given you aid and comfort for the months past, sore over the sense of failure in your one decided effort at benevolence, do you really think that you have failed? Look out at your boy standing at the gate, watching, through the rain and gathering mist, the retreating figure of poor Kate Hartzell, who has gone out on her mission without a kind word from you. If you could look through the mists of years, and see what the tomorrows are to bring to you and yours, would you drop on your knees now and thank God for letting you bring Kate Hartzell into your home, and to hold your boy for you and for God and the right? How do you know how far today will reach? So the dollar had furnished Kate Hartzell and her sister-in-law with a breakfast, a very small portion of it indeed, had done that, Kate saying to herself as she passed the shining sphere in exchange for bread, It is helping, 
for if we are at work we must eat, and there is work to do. The breakfast eaten, they stood in that dreadful room together, and the worn-out woman, bruised body and soul, gave forth the words which you heard a few moments ago, the closing sentence, if there had been any use, being the sad refrain of all the hopes of her broken heart. Kate drew a long breath, as of one taking in strength from somewhere for the task before her, and said, I shall not go back, and we will make this room over, and this home. We will succeed, Annie. Let us say that it shall be. God will help us, Annie Hartzell, and God never fails. I don't know anything about God, said poor Annie Hartzell, but she did not speak the name irreverently. Kate's next word would have seemed to many utterly foreign to the subject. Haven't you a broom? A broom, said Mrs. Hartzell, scorn in her tone. No, I haven't. I had one, but last week your father came in worse than usual, and he broke it into bits and burned it up. There was no need for it either. I had a good fire that night. I had been out half the afternoon picking up bits which the woodyard wagons dropped. Kate could not help a little shiver running through her frame, but she spoke briskly. We must have a broom and a fire and some hot water and some soap. I have something that will make rags. I will go down street and get the things. Annie, will you set the furniture out and take down the bedstead and get things ready while I'm gone? What do you mean to do? Clean house. What is the use? There is nothing to keep it clean with and nothing to make it comfortable. I tell you I know it can't be done. I am older than you. I am a hundred years old at the least, I think. And when we first went down, before we got so low as this, I tried to keep things decent, tried hard and failed. Up to the time that John resolved to come back to his father, I had a little hope. After that I lost it all. John's father always influenced him to the worst. She did not mean to be cruel. She did not know that Kate's heart would wince at this. She did not suppose that there was an atom of love left in her heart for the lost father and she did not remember just then that her own girlish hand offered the first drop of liquor that John had ever tasted. Kate remembered it. Her aunt had told her and dwelt on it bitterly. It had made Kate feel hard toward her sister-in-law all her life. It made her face burn at this moment, but she held her lips close and went on with her preparations to go downtown. "'Nevertheless, let us try again,' she said, let us begin by being clean. We cannot feel ourselves to be respectable until we are as clean as we can be. We will find ways to make it more comfortable. I will work and earn money. I have a trade, Annie. I can cut and make common dresses, and uncommon ones too, I believe, if I could get a chance. Who will give you a chance to make any sort so long as you live on the flats? I don't know, Kate said, her lips quivering a little somebody will i feel sure of it there is a way out annie only let us resolve to get out tell me this kate hartzell what put this into your mind who sent you here kate was dressed now even to her gloves she looked unlike anything that was in the habit of issuing from any door on the flats she had her hand on the doorknob but she turned and looked full into her sister-in-law's eyes and answered her steadily and solemnly 
God. Then she went swiftly away. You do not know, and you can hardly be made to understand, what a day that was to Kate Hartzell. It may be that you are skilled in the art of house-cleaning, yet I venture to say that you would hardly know how to have managed such a form of it as this, yet it was managed. By six o'clock of that same day you would not have known the room, had you been familiar with it as it appeared in the morning. The shelf in the corner had been cleared of the accumulation of years, and scrubbed clean, and covered with a white paper. The cupboard, where the few dishes were, had been treated in the same manner. Only the remaining half-door had been taken off its hinges, and set up as a shelf. Kate handled the sheets of paper lovingly. They were left of a roll which Holly had bought her when she helped him in some of his pattern-cutting. "'There,' he had said with satisfaction, as the last pattern was drawn. "'Now what will I do with all that paper? I got fifty times more paper than I needed, of course. But it was cheap. Jerry gave it to me.' You take it, Kate. I have no place to put it, and mother won't have it lying around. You will do something nice with it some time, I dare say. You always do with bits of things. So Kate had laughingly taken her gift and laid it away, and now she was spreading it on the shelves of the corner cupboard. Holly was helping. It gave her a warm feeling in her sad heart to think of it. The floor had been scrubbed, and the table, and even the rickety chairs, the bedclothes had been washed, every rag of them, and had been blowing in the wind and sunshine all the afternoon, to the great astonishment of the dwellers on the flats. The bed was made up neatly now, and its nakedness covered with a blue and white patchwork quilt, which had been the work of Kate's early girlhood, and had been lying in the depths of her trunk waiting for this hour. The stove had been blackened until it shone, and, altogether, what with the white curtain at the window and the white cloth on the table, both made from a roll in Kate's trunk, Mrs. Hartzell, who was arrayed in a fresh brown calico of Kate's, and who sat by the table gazing around upon it all, confessed to herself that it made a wonderful difference. But her face was still in shadow. "'What will it all amount to, Kate? Haven't you tried something of the kind before? I have.' One day I cleaned everything up, that was two years ago, and there were more things to clean, though I thought then that everything was as bad as it could be. But I made it all nice, and then I set the table as nicely as I could, and baked some potatoes, and fried a little sausage that a neighbor had sent me. He promised me in the morning when he went out that he would try again, and I meant to help him all I could. And when he came he could just stagger into the room, and lay himself boots and all, just as you saw him last night, on my clean bed. And if I touched him, he growled and swore at me. The potatoes burned up, and the sausage shriveled away to grease. I never ate a bite that night. The next morning he was off, and took with him the bag of potatoes that I had earned the day before washing windows for a woman. That is the last time I ever tried. I knew it would be of no use, and I know it now." Kate came in and stood by her sister's chair. "'I never tried much,' she said humbly. "'When I first came home, it was all so different from anything I had ever known, that it was awful. Father would stay away all night, and I was afraid, afraid for my life. There were so many dreadful noises and such mean-looking men hanging around. 
Father was never cross to me, but he drank all the time. I tried to get meals ready for him, and he never came to them, not once, to sit down to the table for the weeks that I was here. And then Mrs. Copeland saw me and gave me that chance, and I rejoiced over it. I thought I should never come back where father was again, at least until I grew to be a middle-aged woman. But I think it was all wrong. Or, I mean, when you came, you and John, I think I ought to have come right home, because two women can do what one alone cannot. And you are a married woman, Annie, and that protects me. A wan, incredulous smile flickered for a moment in the elder woman's face, which yet was almost a child's face. It had never occurred to her that she could protect anybody. Yet, along with the almost derisive smile, there came a sudden resolve to stand by this young thing and help her in her hopeless undertaking all at least that she, a weak, discouraged woman, could. But her words were not encouraging. They'll pawn your clothes, Kate. Your trunk is not safe here for a night. I wish they had not sent it to you. You might have kept your things there and gone after something once in a while. He'll take that bedspread the first thing, and that curtain, it will hang in Jim Moxon's barroom before tomorrow night." Oh, I know all about it. You may try and try, and that is all the good it will do. He sold our little baby's shoes, Kate, the only shoes she ever wore, with the print of her feet in them. While she lay in the coffin, he sold them, for rum. And, Kate, I watched the coffin all day and all night. I never stepped from its side for a moment. I was afraid he would try to sell it for rum." Her eyes were dry and burning, and her voice was steady as the voice of one who has thought over a bitter record until it has lost its power to outwardly move the victim any more, but is nevertheless burning at her heart. Kate stroked the faded yellow hair tenderly. "'Poor Annie,' she said, her voice low and pitiful, and she took this desolate, sinned-against woman from that moment into her stronger heart, and resolved to live at least for her. But the words she spoke, after a moment, were very strong and brave. Annie, we will save him yet. And then there was a step outside, which they knew, and both women rose up and waited, their faces pale, their nerves quivering. End of chapter 12